Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gil, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! To the Sneaker History Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Sneaker History Sports Podcast, which will now affectionately be known as Know Your Roots Sports, as Know Your Roots is our slogan or catchphrase or hashtag. However, how do you phrase that nowadays? Your slogan? Yeah, I think slogan's good. Slogan. Slogan. So we're just going to roll off of that and tie it back into the original Sneaker History podcast. But um, I'm here with Rowett. Hey, Robbie. How's it going? Going well. Um, we're going to cover some stuff we didn't get to finish from our last episode and some new topics based around the NBA's Young Guns. Um, but before we dig into that, uh, make sure you are following the Sneaker History podcast. And if you're interested in a fan of both of our shows, uh, maybe consider joining our Patreon page. Um, You get exclusive sports and sneaker history podcast um, content there. So um, make sure to check that out. Some good giveaways going on this month. Um, More to be uh, released on that later. But take a look into Patreon and consider becoming a member. Excellent. In fact, uh, you reminded me I need to do that, Robbie, because I'm not just a member. I'm a client. Right. You're a friend. I'm a friend, friend of the podcast. Above all, um, friend of a friend. Friend of a friend. Um, before we get into that, and before we get into uh, the the cherry on top, so to speak, of our last episode, um, Ro, what shoes are you wearing? What shoes have you been rocking? Uh, let's see. I have been on a really big Kobe kick because I realize I have an unusually high number of Kobe's. So uh, today I wore the Kobe AD NXT. I think the initial colorway, which was the full sales. Uh, so I really like that shoe. And I think for our next show, Robbie, I've got something in the, uh, I guess, in my bag of tricks that I'll unveil at that moment in time. But like I said, being a member of the sneaker history community, know your roots, know your hoops, whatever you want to call it. We're just happy to be here. And I'm glad that you guys have brought me into this because it's made me appreciate basketball and sneakers a lot more. So thank you for that opportunity. No problem. Thank you for being here. That um, AD NXT looks like an upgraded Chaos colorway. Yes. And it's a very clean shoe. That's one I really wish I bought and played myself, but it's okay. There's plenty of other shoes. Um, I've been rocking the Air Jordan 1 OG High All-Star from, I believe, Charlotte, which was two years ago now. Three. Yes, sir. I think it was three years ago. I thought it was two. I thought it was last year's. When was NBA All-Star Charlotte? Let me look it up. Right, but either way, um, like the iridescent kind of emerald green toe 
Air Jordan ones, and they're super cool. I forgot I had them, and I was just looking through the closet for a pair of shoes to wear, and thought those would be a good one. Um, so Charlotte was 2019. It was one year ago. Man, time kind of flies and slows down in a little sense of the word. One year ago, Charlotte was still trying to ban anti-gay stuff. That's, that's that's what I equate to it. No, Man. absolutely. I mean, do you remember who won the slam dunk contest? Actually? No, but I remember the everything <laughs> else going on about it. Um, but speaking of everything else going on about it and things from the past, on our last podcast episode, um, we spoke about um, Giannis versus James Harden, uh, skill versus natural talent. Make sure you go back and listen to that episode. But we got a little long-winded. Of course. So we did not get to go and cover probably the three most important players that... The holy trinity of modern basketball. Which, ironically, are featured on my refrigerator as we record. Um, got it from Somebody got it from eBay and gifted it to me. And it's just like the most like Photoshop Chinese thing ever. But it's awesome. You know what that reminds me of? Uh, the basketball cards from the late 90s, like the Fleer Skybox. Where, oh, wow. After the show, I will show you some uh, choice pictures from that. It's it's giving a very 90s trading card vibe, and I'm very jealous that you have that on your fridge, Robbie. But it was a gift, and it's awesome, but it has MJ, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James on it. So long story short, we were speaking about whether or not some players are more naturally gifted, be it through height, athletic prowess, speed, um, you know, durability even. Uh, mental toughness, and then the skilled players whom are um, great passers, great shooters, great shot creators, great, um, you know, great dribblers, great ball handlers. Um, and there's also players who mix both of those, who have learned skill. I forgot what movie that's from or TV show. Someone said learned. Learned. And uh, it's, always, it's always like stayed with me. But um, these learned skills, um, who has learned it, like innate skill and who has no taught skill. And so, I think you had mentioned defense was kind of in there. Right? It was. So, I mean, even though I think LeBron is the best, let's just start with the, I mean, the, the people's choice for the best, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And I feel like Michael Jeffrey Jordan was all complete, not completely, but 75% natural talent over skill. Because he was not a great shooter. He was in a, you know, he was a choice shooter. Sure. He could make jump shots. He could get very hot like he did against the Blazers and, you know, the Jordan Shrug. Yeah, you know, he could shoot. But uh, when it comes to the mental toughness and fortitude, when it comes to the ability to – I mean, availability is an ability in yes. my book. So outside of hurting himself very early, I think in his second season or end of his first, um, he hurt his leg or something. Broken foot. Broken foot. Outside of that – and gambling, he, allegedly, yeah, allegedly. Nah, um, he was he was available for the entire time and dominated every game he played. No, I was going to say, Robbie. I think him and one of the other members of the Holy Trinity, Kobe, are the two players that I think most exert their psychological dominance over their era. Which you have to be born with. You have to have a certain doggedness to you, and I think those two are the two alphas for sure. And there are just so many stories about Jordan's competitive streak. There's the famous clip making the rounds right now. He and Dikembe Mutombo in the training table. And Dikembe Mutombo saying, Mike, you never got me. And you can literally see Jordan saying, okay, when, is, when are we yes. going to play the Hawks next? I got you, Deke. I got yeah. you. 
He's done that. And then from a Kobe side, the Gerald Wallace, hey, how much do uh, you think I'm going to miss this free throw by? 500K? Yeah. Bet. So that is something that I think Jordan especially holds over his peers and ultimately will be his legacy is his competitiveness and his just ruthlessness. He was truly a killer personified on the court. He would gladly step on your throat and smile at you. And yeah, there were guys that were bigger than him. There were guys that were stronger than him and there were guys that were faster than him, but nobody was all three things to Jordan. I think that's where Jordan was a nine out of 10 in almost every statistical category of his time. The hands, the hops, he easily had a 40 plus vertical, but just the hand size and the hops, the brain, and the proportions, 6'6", six, six, you know, 210, whatever, he, he wasn't, he had wiry strength. MJ was, definitely had muscles, but he was never bulging, but just strong. Like, now, I mean, I was going to say this. I've been watching a lot of the Formula One show on Netflix. He reminds me of a vintage Ferrari where he just looks like he's been put on this earth to play basketball, much like a lot of these Ferrari cars look like they've been put on earth to just drive fast. Yes. And support the nice jacket you're wearing because once again i wish podcast was a visual medium you guys robbie is living his best life in this new deodora swag we'll talk about that later but it's still um just mj had every and don't don't get this wrong he worked at tirelessly at his craft but just the things that made him michael jordan were natural gifts one last thing about jordan was he literally had every skill set Fine tooth. Uh, I mean, he, let me take a second to replay this. He had every skill set, as well as every modern award associated with every skill set. He was a tremendous leaper. He won the dunk contest. He's won the Defensive Player of the Year two years in a row, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. MVP, whether it's the All Star Game or the Finals, he truly was the epitome of the complete player. Very true. And then you have Kobe, which you started to bring up already. Which I think Kobe is both. Because Michael Jordan worked very hard, but Kobe Bryant worked out savagely. Like, MJ liked to have fun and work very hard. Yes. Kobe liked to work very hard, work very hard a little more, and still have a little fun. Like, he understood work-life balance to a degree. I would say his fun is getting up at 4 a.m. and just doing mountain climbers or running sprints. Like, his... Defining characteristic unfairly at times was the fact that he had Jordan as his barometer, so he could always measure himself to what Jordan had done. Jordan didn't have that necessarily, uh-huh. and that's one advantage I would give to Jordan is Jordan never had that rabbit that he was chasing, like a greyhound does. Kobe is a better shooter yes. than Michael Jordan was, a more creative. Michael Jordan, you know, he laid the initial track, and then Kobe Bryant came and remixed it. But he remixed it with... All these different elements, just the creativity from an offensive standpoint. Like that's the one thing I'll always be in love with. One of many things I'll always be in love with with Kobe, but just the creativity to think, oh, this shot isn't a bad shot. Like this, I, I made this one 14. I made this shot 14 times at two in the morning last night. Like I got this. And he can just make it work. And when he wanted to pass, Kobe was a better passer than Michael in terms of like seeing Kobe gets a bad knock for being a black hole, but there was many times where he would get standoffish and purposely pass. And Kobe made some beautiful playmaking, you know, beautiful playmaking highlights throughout his career, especially once it came to the twin towers of Bynum and Gasol, 
Kobe was very great because he would do pump fake, pump fake, pump fake, pump fake. Crap, I still have nothing. And just find a way to get it to somebody. Bail me out, pal. Yes. He could do a great pass. So I think that's why he's more of both, even though MJ's pure talent was much higher than Kobe's. Kobe had to work harder because he wasn't as talented as naturally as Michael Jordan. I think that's fair to say. And one other thing with regards to kind of being a devil's advocate for Jordan's passing, Jordan never really was much of a passer, but his passes always led to something great. So he, in a sense, has made Steve Kerr's career. He's made John Paxson's career. He's made BJ Armstrong's career because he always had a clutch shooter at his disposal. And those are the players that I feel were the most receptive of his passes. Would that be fair to say, Rob? I love that you say that because it's very fair, but it's one of the biggest criticisms upon LeBron James is making the pass. So y'all understand that one of the plays they always show for Michael Jordan is him passing the ball to Steve Kerr. It's like he watched Michael Jordan growing up, but like you see that you got to make the pass sometimes. This LeBron loves making the pass. MJ would make the pass. No, I was going to say this. I think Jordan also has this mythology that we have to treat like a sacred cow. And I'm hoping that over the summer when the Last Dance documentary comes out on Netflix, we can do an episode about that. Because I do think Jordan's mythology is probably the most powerful legacy he has. And the last couple of years, we've seen different chinks in the armor. So we thought this record of 72 and 10 would never be beaten. And lo and behold, it's been beaten now. We've seen the fact that LeBron has gone to more finals than Jordan, and he may still catch him in terms of titles. So I'm wondering, what is Jordan's legacy other than the fact that he's 6-0? Because one thing I always feel Jordan gets ignored about are those two years in Washington. And we never speak of such years, but hey, they happened. And I think those should unfairly or fairly go against Jordan's legacy as an all-time great. It should go against it, but he also did have some good games. Yes, he did. It was like it was like Kobe and 05 good games. It doesn't mean anything, but they were still good. Um, and then you have one LeBron James to finish out the trio. Um, we'll just go really quick on him because I think it's extremely well documented as you know, Twitter culture and internet culture has has very much let everybody know what LeBron James can do. Mm-hmm. But the definition of Magic Johnson souped up. And that's the that's the comparison I will always use instead of Michael Jordan is just him to Magic and he's better than Magic. Um, they're their own types of players, but the natural God-given talent, the ability to keep his body, and I guess that's that's a mindset thing, right? It's not an ability to use your wallet to keep your body in check, but just the the focus on longevity and the focus on that at such a young age, because there's videos of LeBron eating McDonald's with Team USA in 08. Yes. That's the last damn time I've ever seen LeBron James with a McDonald's or any kind of like bad food. Now, I was going to say, before the Blaze Pizza sponsorship, which I still haven't seen that man. Which he owns, yeah. And he was a McDonald's sportsman uh, or sponsor, endorser. endorser, thank you. And it was one of those things where, yeah. I saw that video. I think they were in a truck stop somewhere yes. in North Carolina. Yes. And I imagine just happy. Yeah, enjoying their Mickey D's. You can't beat that. But yeah, I don't think I've seen LeBron eat a carp since 2005. I don't think he's capable of it. And I think to your point, Robbie, there is a stat going around that he spends close to a million dollars a year preserving his body. And that's part of it. But to your point, he still has to go through these exercises. He still has to go through these absurd drills where he's balancing on a me- uh bouncy ball on his knees while catching a basketball and firing it back at the trainer Mm -hmm. and we'll never see anybody like him again. And I think it's scary that 
we have to pick one person in terms of Jordan or LeBron. Because right now we need to enjoy LeBron for what he is. And we don't know how much long he has in the game, especially with recent events that have three happened. Three years. Three years. You think he's still at his peak, which is absurd because he's, you're 18 now? 17. 17. And we've got three years. And let's say the drop off isn't significant enough. He had a 20 year prime. Yeah. There are players in the NBA that can't even get 20 minutes worth of prime. And he stretched this out to two decades. Yes. He has a lifetime supply of Kobe beef. Kobe. Um, but just bigger, stronger, faster, the intelligence. Like the LeBron's a savant. He, and there's many videos of this. LeBron James will go back and tell you the last five minutes of a game. Oh, play by play. Yeah. Oh, uh, Rondo caught the ball at the wing and passed it up to Kuzma at the top. Kuzma, lightning passed it into JaVale. JaVale got the re- uh, missed it, got the offensive rebound, kicked it out to me. I made three. Like he, he mis- knows everything, and, it, and it's crazy. But the reason why he's a mixture of both is because he could not make a jump shot, and that's the reason why he lost to the Spurs in 07. They let him, they yawned him and let him shoot, and it wasn't there yet. Now LeBron is a, a, a proficient three point shooter, a proficient shooter in general. He's a shooter. I mean, yes. you can't leave him alone anymore, which is something I think Giannis hopes his game can eventually reach. Mm hmm. But yeah, he can beat you with a shot. It's still not as readily available as he, some of us would like as LeBron fans, but it's there. And we can live with that for now. Exactly. So we're now going to kind of segue into our main topic, which is the top 20. No. We're going to do the top 20 NBA players under 25. So the list was initially 25 under 25 from ESPN+. Plus. But that's a long-ass list, and that's going to take us way too much time. So just to let everybody kind of know what's going on, Lonzo at 25, John Collins at 24, Michael Porter Jr. at 23, um, Sabonis at 22. Sabonis, Sabonis. That's tripping. Jonathan Isaac at 21, and then uh, we have our 20th here. But just to spitfire a thought on that, um, why the hell is Michael Porter Jr. and Jonathan Isaac above Lonzo Ball? And why is Sabonis, I guess he's because he's 23 and 23.8 years. That's how we're going to define ages with yes. decimals. But um, maybe because he's a little long in the young tooth. Sure. But Michael Porter Jr. does not belong to be that high over Lonzo. who's As a Missouri uh, resident, I agree. And I think this is wishful thinking on the part of ESPN. I'll gladly take him as a top 25 under 25. But there are players on this list that we'll discuss that I think guys like Sabonis and Lonzo should be at their level. Like, I'm looking at you, number 18, DeAndre Ayton. Spoiler alert. I think he's way too young in his career to even make that type of leap into the top 20, especially considering he missed 25 games. But let's go ahead and get started. We'll start from the top. For sure. So at 20 here, we have Kristoff Porzingis, which... I think is too low, but he is almost no longer 25. So he's technically getting old. Yes. But um, since Luca had a little bit of injury problems, Kristaps um, really kind of showed everybody why he was the unicorn or known as the unicorn. A um, couple 30 point games mixed with double doubles, uh, four or five block games, just um, really showing that he's the stretch five of stretch fives. Um, he's in a rim run. Just do a little bit of everything. So, sure. 
And at would, 20, it's kind of low, but great player. I think he's also the player that benefited the least from this list. I think if we did this list five years ago, he would have cracked the top five. Uh-huh. And I think, obviously, he has those injury problems. Like you mentioned, Robbie. I think he's going to rebound with Luca because I think he's got the perfect skill set to complement Luca. So that's all I'll say about Chris Stapps. They've been playing very well together yes. since Luca's been back, and it's scary when they are both under 25 and can both give you 30 points. And do the best thing is they do different things on the court. Let's say they each do three things. Luca scores, shot creates for other people, and passes. Yes. Um, Christoph um, scores, rebounds, and blocks. Yes. Or defends. So there's not overlapping or redundant skill sets there. Not at all. They they might be the new age Stockton Malone in a sense. I'm, I Mark Cuban hopes that. Yeah, that's true. Um, so at, tied for 18, we have DeAndre Eaton, just like you said, and Jamal Murray. Um, do you want to go with Murray first? Because we kind of touched on Aiton a little bit, and I don't know what else there is to say about Aiton. He's a promising player, but you've missed 25 games this year. I don't think you warrant consideration in the top 20. But but he's still very young, so I think they're looking at how much more time he has, and they're also looking at the fact that he has 20 points on 56% shooting with 12 rebounds. Um, let's say he doesn't get caught for doping again. Yep. Um, that over a full season with more maturity around Devin Booker, um, they're they're looking at him long term. Absolutely. What do you think about Jamal? I think similar to what we mentioned with Luca and Chris Saps, he seems to be a player that is tailor made for Nikola Jokic's game. A lot of the games that we do see about the Nuggets involve Jokic handling the ball and Murray moving out in flare screens and all different types of motion and catching the ball at the hoop or popping up behind the three point line for a shot. He's got decent range. I still worry about his consistency as a big game player where there are nights he's just disappearing on the court. And I think Nikola Jokic can only do so much, but Denver is going to be a team that's going to be very interesting in the playoffs. Cause I could see them almost avoid everybody and make it somehow to the Western conference finals. I watched a uh, bleacher. I read a bleacher report article on Jamal Murray and his dad and yes. his upbringing. Can you talk about this? Yeah. You read it too. Or you yes. It was a Jackie McClellan piece on ESPN. Oh, it was ESPN. Yeah. It was a uh, mental karate or mental Kung Fu. Yes. His dad was, I believe a karate enthusiast. I won't say he was an instructor because honestly I can't remember. Maybe it was a karate. It was some kind of martial arts. It, yes. Let, you're right. You know what? He was a martial arts. Let's be PC. And very PC. Yeah. We, we are not trying to get canceled in today's culture, but he was a martial arts enthusiast, and he would make you know, Jamal Murray squat and put hot, hot coffee on his knees. So that way, if he fell, the hot coffee would go all over his legs. And yes. Murray credits this to the mental toughness that he thinks he has, which he does have some. He's a physical player. He doesn't back down. I mean, to your point, Robbie, I know you're a big Laker fan. He and Lonzo had a couple of run-ins in past where they're not necessarily too fond of each other. Very competitive. And he is very tough, but the inconsistency you alluded to, I see it with my own two eyes, um, has only gone up. He has he averages 18 points, which you would think now in year three, we'd get a little more. Maybe it's year four. I think it's year three. We'd get a little more from Jamal, but um, still a great player. Um, and a wrapping up thought on that, in a vacuum. So uh, Devin Booker and the Stretch Mark Five do not exist. If you had a choice between these two players, which one of the two would you rather have? I think I would have Murray just because we are in an era right now where we're rewarding three-point shooters. That being said, Aiton has the potential to be a great defensive player, but he's still young, and I don't try to evaluate young players in terms of their defensive ability until they're in their third year because 
it's kind of a wash because I don't think any young players ever experienced the level of speed that the NBA has, especially on the defensive side. He's so big, though. I he mean, there's, there's a lot of seven feet, seven footers that are skinny, a lot of seven footers that are chonky. Yes. He is like a tree trunk thick, like he's, strong man. So I'm going to go with Aiden in that. Fair enough. But, you know, that's why there's two of us, two opinions. So next up here, we have Jaron Jackson, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, 20 years old. He's a young buck, like young and young. And uh, what do you think about Jaron? I like Jaron Jackson a lot. I think he's a little bit of a throwback where he can almost score from anywhere inside 18 or outside or inside of 18 feet. He also is the latest in terms of this new pattern we're seeing where a lot of these players now are the sons of ex players. So there's a certain professionalism that's almost ingrained in them. Who's his dad? Jaron Jackson Sr., if I remember. I don't know Jaron Jackson Sr. He was on the Spurs as a reserve, but I can also do some research. But he, like Pat Mahomes, like so many other players that we've heard about, had pops in the league. And I think it's benefited him greatly because they picked up really good habits. You've never heard of him being a knucklehead like in light of, let's say, DeAndre Ayton. And that's not really fair to DeAndre Ayton, so I'll apologize for that. He is very skilled, and I think he is one of those rare players that's young that understands the nuances of defense and is what I consider a positive defender. He is all those things. He can stretch the floor a little bit, too. He's shooting 39% from three. Um, The question mark around him, and I've noticed this with my own two eyes also from catching a couple Memphis games, he's not on the court a lot, No, which is a bummer. Um, I hate seeing young players robbed from knick-knack or even nagging, reoccurring injuries. So right now he's out from a left sprained knee, which as a jumper, athletic center forward, those knees got to be in shape. I mean, those knees got to be tip top. Mm -hmm. So that's a bummer. But just he is the contra to what Jaw does so perfectly. He's just like the yin to his yang. Uh, He, he like... Every All these teams are figuring out that redundant skill sets are a no-no. Not only are redundant skill sets are no-no, let's have players that actually complement each other. Yes. I, mean, I think we are moving away from the days where, let's say we draft point guards in back-to-back years and see, okay, who wins out? I think that the scary thing about Jaron Jackson Jr. is also the fact that right now he's shooting 47% from the field, 40% from three, like you mentioned, and he's close to 80% from the free throw line. So he's at a 50-40-80 clip which is saying something considering this is his second year in the league. So I have high hopes for Jaron Jackson Jr. He's going to do good things. So 16 here is one of my favorite players to watch in the league. If I'm on NBA League Pass, I want to spend some time watching this guy. Um, I want to mute all the other players on the court. But Zach Levine, barely. He's 24.9, about to turn 25. Um, But Zach is one of those throwback shooting guards who can jump out the gym, who can streakily shoot, who can be effective in mid-range, who can run the open court like a gazelle. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more. He's now gotten past his injuries where he's now playing consistently. He needs to get off the bulls. He needs to be on a team where he's doing something because he has a skill set that could help a lot of players. I do worry that he will start looking like Monte Ellis. Oh, see, I was thinking J.R. Smith in a sense. But he's better than both those players, yes, I think. Um, purely from a skill standpoint, he's both of those. I would like to see him be more of the world's biggest, best version of Jamal Crawford somewhere. I he think, would be a great six-man. 
I think so. I think he's one of those players, the less you see him, the more effective he is because he has that unpredictability to his game. And I wonder if they are missing him in Minnesota right now because I think he would be a perfect type of player that could play off of Towns. And I think they got rid of the wrong wing. I think they should have gotten rid of Wiggins a lot sooner than they did Levine. And I would have thought that a trio of Levine, Russell, and Towns would have made things at least a little bit more interesting. As long as you're playing D'Angelo opposite of Zach, like Zach has to be a six man, but he'd be like a Mono Ginobili 20. That's that's exactly it. I mean, I think it's one of those things where we have this notion of a six man being the first one off the bench, which is true. But it's also how do they end games? And similar to your point about Levine, Ginobili always ended the game for the Spurs, much like I would Lamar see Zach Odom Levine. Exactly. End, ended the game. Jamal Crawford early in his career would end game. So it's, it's stuff like that. He's just a really, really fun player that needs to start getting on a winning team so he gets more recognition. Um, at 15 here, we have Zach. Oh, no, we have De'Aaron Fox. Yes, I started saying Zach, and I stopped myself. Like I'm looking at De'Aaron's face, and I'm saying Zach Levine. So let me ask you a question, Robbie, because you are one of the Dragon Ball Z aficionados. Dragon, Dragon. What do you think of young Vegeta here? Man, he has like a mix. He has the bestest anime hair in general. But um, He's also a very big Vegeta fan. Like I once listened to a podcast where he extolled the virtues of how he thought Vegeta was a much better role model than Goku was. I figured <laughs> if there's anything that plays to your sensibilities, it would be that. I like him even more now. Um, I love De'Aaron. He is Speedy Gonzalez on the basketball court. End to end, just as fast as Derrick Rose used to be. Maybe even fast. He's like rivaling John Wall speed Yes, in the open court. Um, I love how aggressive he is. I love how he always wears Kobe's. He's been in that Kobe gang since he came in the league. So um, you know, I don't have much to say other than he needs to stay on the court more. But I love watching him. I love watching him as well. I think he might be one of my favorite Sacramento Kings since Jason Williams, probably the most exciting prospect that the Kings have had. And I won't hear anything about Tyreek Evans because I think Tyreek Evans was born just to exist. Uh, What about DeMarcus? That's true, DeMarcus. I just feel sad for DeMarcus Cousins. I really want him to come back and have one great year right before he retires, but who knows about that. And moving on, anything else for De'Aaron Fox before we get to another person we had alluded to previously, one D'Angelo Russell. The speed kills. Speed kills. And D'Angelo doesn't have a lot of speed, but he has shiftiness. Um, I'm a big D'Angelo fan. I love the bravado. It's a little out out of touch sometimes with where he thinks he is and where the bravado – where he is and where the bravado thinks he is. Sure. But – You've got to always think you're the best player. You've got if you're going to be an alpha, be the damn alpha. And he has that kind of mindset. Um, I was a big fan of him at Ohio State. I was so excited for him to be a Laker, and then that all <laughs> fell apart. Loved him in Brooklyn and Golden State. I got to see him when he played against the Blazers here, and that was fun. But just I'm very excited for this new opportunity. I'm excited to see what they do with the full season with Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. But um, he's gotten the short end of the stick a lot, and I don't think he always deserves it. But uh, he brings it upon himself a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I mean, allegedly that's what happens when you take one of your teammates discussing their exploits on the road. What I like about his game, and then something you mentioned, is the herky-jerky nature. He has a great change of pace, and I think that's something that we forget about nowadays because all of our basketball acumen is kind of been condensed to these highlights that we see that are no longer than a TikTok or a Vine. And to truly understand and appreciate D'Angelo Russell is watching him being able to shift gears to go from first gear to fourth gear back down to third. 
to elevate to fifth. And hopefully that made sense to you guys because it made sense to me. So my guy, it's that damn at one show. Man, we got to get uh, an episode of just you and Nick instead That's, of me and talk cars. Here's the thing. Quick Motorsports. I've decided I'm going to support one of two teams. So I did what I think most modern people do now is, okay, let me see their Instagram page. And are there any followers that we have that are in common? Nick and Nick Engvall. Sorry about that, Nick. He is following both teams that I'm considering. So, yes, whenever that happens, I would love to pick his brain about it. That's going to be an upcoming episode of just you two talking cars. Fantastic. Now, much like a car um, – Number 13, Jalen Brown is like an SUV, sport utility vehicle. Yes. Not like he's big and boxy, but that he can do a little bit of everything. And depending on what kind of SUV you get, it can be a very classy, like big old Lexus, or you can get like a mom, you know, like Hyundai. You know what this reminds me of? So I have friends from the South and I grew up in Missouri, which we're now part of the SEC. And they always describe those SUVs as sorority girl SUVs, so where nice. they're not as big and boxy as what you would expect from, like, let's say a Cadillac Escalade, but like the Honda CRV. Uh-huh. Like, that's what Jalen Brown reminds me of. There's a versatility to his game. He's got a little bit of a Swiss Army knife skill set. One thing I wonder about him is he's a very into- intelligent and intellectual cat off the court. And I'm wondering, and so far it's been good, is how he handles doing the give and take off of Jason Tatum, who's very high on this list, and we'll get to him later. What do you think about that dynamic? My, I think that they're figuring it out. They can play well together because both of them can spot up and shoot. Both of them can create. But Jalen does more of the nitty-gritty stuff than Jason does. Mm-hmm. And that's a compliment to what he does, offers on the court, and they work well together. My gut reaction seeing him at 13 was, man, he's low. And then I scrolled up and saw the other 12, and it's like, man, it's it's tough competition here. Even at D'Angelo Russell, um, the what, 15? Yes. So th- we've already had two All-Stars, um, three All-Stars. No, yeah, Porzingis was an All-Star one year. Um, we've had three All-Stars on here, and we're just now hitting 13. It gets really, really competitive, and much like the Boston Celtics roster – he kind of just had to be put at 13 because there's just so many other pe- mouths to feed. Yes. And I think that will get annoying at some point. It got annoying for James Harden. It got annoying for... Um, it didn't get annoying for Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, let's say that. It so. did not. But this James Harden, he's the only real example I can sure. think of right now. This, it got annoying. He, he needed to have a bigger role and look at how he flourished. Jalen Brown at his young age still... I wonder what he will look like as a number one or number two undisputed option Mm -hmm. if he would elevate, which I do think he would. I think he has the kind of mental game that would help elevate if he was an undisputed number two option on a team. So I think Jalen Brown and the next person on our list are the two players that I'm most looking forward to watching this year in the playoffs because I think they're both prone to have breakout years. Uh, So Brown, for me especially – I want to see if he can hit a shot consistently. But then the next person is the player I think we will be speaking the most about in terms of, whoa, where did he come from? And that's number 12, Bam Adebayo. He was kind of the star of our first show because a lot of people that did reach out to me in terms of feedback said they loved our assessment of young Bam's game. And the calling card is versatility, as the ESPN article says. And one thing that has been said over and over and over and over again is the fact that he has Draymond Green-ish tendencies. I think he's got a better temperament and I think he understands his development, but he's also got a little bit of a alpha in him that lets me know he is going to be perfect for that Jimmy Butler led Miami Heat team, especially in terms of a dark horse or sleeper run. He's bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic than Draymond. Same. 
that says Draymond it. is so not any kind of knack on Bam's basketball IQ, but Draymond knows basketball. Yes. Like that's the one thing that really differentiates him from any other small ball defender. Or so Draymond's a defending playmaker. Yes, undersized playmaking defender. That's a messed up combination, and it's deadly. Bam can do all those things at a smaller level, but he brings other things that Draymond can't. Bam can run. I'm thinking of the Miami fast breaks. Bam is quick and Bam is bouncy. Bam won the skills challenge. Bam can do everything. Bam is fantastic. His name is fantastic. Emerald Lagasse somewhere is very happy. Bam, Bam, Bam. Bam. I will Put say that on there. he's going to have a nasty block. And because he almost has that streak where he wants to shove the ball down your throat, especially if you try to dunk it on him, he's going to be a very fun player to watch. This next guy is another fun player to watch that you didn't know was so much fun until you saw him in OKC because we knew about him in Clippers. He was a big, he was one of the largest cogs in the Clipper machine last year. Right. Um, you know, dominance by committee. What was the Clippers last year? Um, Shy Gilkis, Shy Gilchrist Alexander, um, tied for number ten here, so eleven ten. And with Chris Paul, he is flourishing. Above all, I think he's flourishing as a man around Chris Paul. Chris Paul, shout out to Nick, hates Chris Paul. I don't like him either as a Clipper and then Rocket. But Chris Paul is a professional. He leads the player union. He does like Chris Paul is, is a great role model for a young basketball player. He brings up a lot of kids through his AAU local yes. Jordan stuff and they make it to the league and he nurtures those kids. Like he is a great role model for a young point guard to come in. Not to mention the quickness, the shifting he's fast and shifty. So like Lonzo and not Lonzo, but D'Angelo and De'Aaron, both of those skill sets mixed into one with some good shooting, with some good playmaking. It's, all-around very good young guard. Exactly. I think when I first looked at this list, I was pleasantly surprised that he was as high as he was, especially at the expense of the Lonzos, De'Aaron's, and D'Angelo's. But it's something you alluded to, is the fact that this may be the greatest thing Chris Paul has done, is bring this guy along. Because there could have been an easy circumstance or scenario where Chris Paul joins that team, hijacks that team, and says, no, I'm not going to contribute to the next generation. But I have high hopes because he's gone to the Chris Paul finishing school. And it'll be also very interesting to see how he matches up because this Thunder team is a very similar team to what you just alluded to about the Clippers where they dominate by committee. I don't think the same player can beat you night in and night out. Chris Paul might be able to do it, let's say, three games out of seven. Uh But that's still not enough to win a series. So it's going to be really interesting to see, do we have that breakout Shea Gilgis-Alexander game this year? Here's a deep cut. So Kobe came up underneath Eddie Jones. Yes. Kobe is, I mean, Shy is not Kobe. Here's a more realistic analogy. Rip Hamilton came up underneath Michael Jordan. So Chris Paul is not Michael Jordan, but I think Shy could be better than like a Rip Hamilton where he's a multiple-time all-star uh, on a championship-level team. Um, so his tie mate, his tiebreaker, won Devin Booker, which I think is too low for 10. Devin Booker is the definition of a walking bucket. Given... 
he has suffered from very poor you know, supporting cast, very poor management, very poor everything except for personal training because Phoenix is still the damn spot when it comes to personal training. But everything else in Phoenix has sucked for many, many years since Steve Nash left. Right. Devin Booker at 10, I think he's only at 10 because of – a knock against him is he hasn't – his – his greatness has not equated to winning much like DeMarcus cousins. Greatness did sure. not equate to winning and that sucks, but the boy is still an offensive talent like view. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest mistakes I think that's happened with Devin Booker's development was that there was an idea that he could be point guard and yes, he can create his own shot, but I think he's much more lethal and effective off the ball. And similar to what Chris Paul has done for Shai Gildas Alexander, I think Ricky Rubio has helped out in Devin Booker's Ricky. Ricky Rubio, the Iberian Rajon Rondo, if you will, right yes. down to the alliteration. But what's made Booker's leap this year all the more rewarding is the fact that we saw some setbacks in the fact that he chose not to play for Team USA this year. There was a whole incident about him yelling at people doubling him during a pickup game over the summer. And that came into account the fact that, okay, is Devin Booker mentally tough enough? I think he is. I think he is also part of that Kobe generation where they're using this tragedy to elevate themselves because that is probably the greatest testament to their mentor, their leader. And was Devin Booker the one that recently got tattooed be legendary on yes, his arm. It is. So he is going to have that streak and that nastiness to be a great player one day. I think they need one more player, or maybe it's the fact that maybe next year Aiden is the one that takes the lead. The caveat I want to add to all of these players, some are further along than others, that they're all young, young men. I was not mentally sound at 23 years old. They're yeah. young men. So it's they have plenty of time to grow into what we think they should be. And I think that's very important to, to remember. So number nine, Brandon Ingram, AKA, how do you like me now? Slenderman. Because he was shitted on for not being enough. He had all of the intangibles. He had all of the, um, what's the word they like to use? The um, upside coming into the draft, all the potential in the world. And how do you like me now? He's now in the all-star. He's now averaging what? 22, something like points a game. And he's now number nine on this list. What he's do you think? A, he's a silent killer. I think he might be the most improved player in the NBA this year. And what makes this development all the more greater is the fact that he still had that continuity. So whenever we see a young player traded now, it's essentially a new player goes to a new team. There isn't that continuity there. There isn't that consistency. What I think Brandon Ingram has benefited from the fact is he had his point guard from L.A. also join him in New Orleans. And that's where we see both of them shining now that they're out of the spotlight in L.A. Not to take anything away from their mindset or their mentality, but you need to have the proper audience for your skills as you're still evolving to Robbie's point. These guys that we've all talked about are, let's say, the top 300 in their profession, and they haven't even cracked the age to rent a car yet. To Robbie's point, when he and I were 25, we may not have been even in the top 10,000 of our noted professions. So it's very weird for us to comment on these guys, but it also speaks to their high level of play and acumen. Brandon Ingram suffered from the fact that LeBron James does not run, does not run developmental camps. He runs um, professional camps. I was gonna clinics. Say, clinics. Yes. Brandon Ingram is five years away from being the player LeBron James wanted him to be when he first came to LA. Which I'm now kind of hurting because if that Lakers trade, if they could have said, 
give us Kuzma, and, and we said, nah, we'll give you Brandon Ingram. Right now it's looking kind of silly. I never got the Kuzma thing, so if you'll allow me the indulgence of yet another tangent, I just never saw it with Kuzma. I always just thought, get rid of him. He's the one player that's benefited the most from being a Laker. I could see the greatness of Lonzo. I could see even the Rainbow greatness, but Kuzma was the one where I'm like, really? This guy? I don't get it, but I'm not supposed to get it because I am but a mere pontificator on a podcast, and there are free agent geniuses that have seen this all too many times and know when a player is a real deal and when he's not. I, I miss Julius Randle, man. Shout out to him suffering in New York right now. Poor guy. Um, up at eight here. We're going to skip on that. Um, we'll come back. Um, we'll also gonna skip on number seven. We'll come back. So number six here, we have Donovan Mitchell, Young Spida. Again, I thought in my brain before I went and looked at the stats, he's not having a great year, but he's after like 23, 25 points. All these guys are after like 23, 25 points a game. But Donovan Mitchell, um, some like to call him the second coming of Dwayne Wade. That's not cool to Dwayne. Dwayne's a one of a kind. But Donovan Mitchell is a very solid all-around alpha two guard who – I think he's proven now at a very young age that he can be the best player on a top five Western Conference team. So can I ask you this question, hypothetical here? If Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker switch roles, do you think Donovan Mitchell carries the Phoenix Suns to a playoff spot, let's say? Man, that's a good question. I almost said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did come into a better situation in Utah. Um, as Gordon, he pretty much just replaced Gordon Hayward, and that was already a playoff team. The Suns were not a playoff team when Devin Booker came in. So I would say, I would say no, just because the Suns are that bad, it would suffocate any young talent. Absolutely, and I think kudos to the Utah Jazz development team for spotting this diamond in the rough. But I do think Mitchell has benefited more from his system than any other person on this list. I'm not convinced all the way yet, and I'm happy to eat crow when it happens this year in the playoffs. But for me, the Wade comparisons aren't apt until he develops that defensive presence that Dwayne Wade had. Dwayne Wade was arguably the greatest shot-blocking guard of his era and possibly of all time. And I still don't see that intensity on the defensive end from Donovan Mitchell. So that's something I'm going to be looking out for. But I do think if there's one player that's rated too high, it might be Mitchell for me. That's a good point. I would... You can make arguments for the other players lower that they should be higher. Yeah. I don't like the diamond in a rough just because he came out of Louisville. Like we, you, that's a high profile program. Absolutely. Just we didn't know he was going to be this good. No, we didn't. But he was also drafted 13th overall, which is why I kind of lean on that because that's the tail end of the lottery. And I think for somebody who is in that spotlight at Louisville, I would figure he would get a greater shot and a greater visibility of being a higher draft. I think that was around the stripper. Alleged stripper. Not that happened. Yeah. All that stuff. So maybe like this executive didn't want to take somebody from that situation, coming out of that situation. Who knows? But um, number five, who comes off as like the American golden boy. <laughs> um, shout out to Carl Anthony Towns and his young like AV days. There's a video of him when he's in high school, like interviewing Kevin Durant or something. Yes. And this the goofiest little dude who's also like six foot 11 at that point. So he's not a little dude, but this is a very genuine guy. Um, I, I rag on him a lot because I think he's so good. He should he should be able to will the Timberwolves to more, and he hasn't been able to do so. But he's very much like Porzingis, but more healthy. 
and more it's hard, hard to say more explosive they're both very explosive players but Carl Anthony Towns um, can shoot so well he just does it too much so many just gifts Carl Anthony Towns has a lot of gifts exactly I mean I think we used the anecdote from last time where when he got uh, into Kentucky John Calipari said you are not attempting a three at all this year you are going to learn how to play with your back against the basketball and I think that's benefited him a lot and he is a versatile scorer and I really like your cop that he made uh, you made with Chris Porzingis. both of them also choose when to use their athleticism and I think that's an underrated skill set because if you always rely on your athleticism I think it does stunt your growth long term because you don't learn how to play basketball properly you learn how to jump properly or you may learn how to run properly so he has a little bit of that old man game already he doesn't leave me inspired on the defensive end and I know this has kind of been a reoccurring theme that I've had with a lot of these guys on this list but I really want him to climb down and become a defender in a sense that I don't want him to be the next or the second coming of Kevin Garnett, but I also want him to be able to hold his own and not be looked at as a negative defender. That's my only complaint with Carl Anthony Towns. Mm -hmm. They're talking about using him in different ways instead of just a traditional center. And we'll see what happens in Minnesota next year. Um, Number four, we have the pride asterisk. Of Philadelphia, Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. I say asterisk because it's a lot of back and forth about if they should trade either him or Embiid, whose team is it, who's better, yada, yada. We forget Ben Simmons is only 23 years old. We forget that we very early on called him the next LeBron. We forget that we knew he could not shoot and still harp on him about not taking enough threes. Know thyself. There's nothing wrong with playing into what you do well and not playing into your I mean you want to play to your strengths why would you purposely do stuff that you are not that great at yet that's fair why I mean I think only Ben can answer that question right I think he's playing with house money because of the fact that while he may not be this great shooter he has that plethora of natural talent to tie back to last week's episode and he should be able to feel comfortable with those misses because when the game slows down in the playoffs teams are going to be begging him to shoot And I'm wondering how is he going to anticipate this year's defensive coverage that he's going to face? Because more often than not, teams are going to drag off of him and let him shoot. And he can't be scared. Ideally, I love to put my fantasy booker hat on, so to speak. If that rumor about him going to Golden State is on the table, he is the perfect player for them. Oh, yeah. And that is a scary thing that I know I'm sitting across a diehard Laker fan. That would put fear in the heart's of the world and Golden State would yet again be looked at as a favorite. And granted, this is all speculation, but I really love Ben Simmons a lot. I wish he would shoot the ball more. And the way I've ragged some of these other guys, I would rag Ben Simmons about his shooting. But there's something about him that on the defensive side, he is almost like Ray Lewis because he can make a break on a ball quicker than almost anybody I've ever seen at his skill and at his size. So I'm a Ben Simmons apologist. I will always be a Ben Simmons apologist, but sometimes I even wonder, like, can we please shoot a three? Just to prove to yourself that it's okay with a miss. It's all those damn Card Jenners. Card Jenners, man. They'll get you. That young weird will get you. So so I just, man, Ben Simmons is is an enigma because he can do – no wrong, yet he does all wrong at the same time. It's just... and, and he's the Marsha Brady to Joel Embiid's – or sorry, he's Jan Brady to Marsha uh, 
I've just scrapped this whole analogy. Sorry about that. Man. Shout out to the Brady Bunch. You yeah. know, you know what we yeah. mean. So sorry about that. So at number three, we have Jason Tatum. And man, I mean, everything's been said about him already. He is just he's next up, I think. He is gonna be a guy who leads the Celtics. I have a big theory that they're going to blow the whole damn ship up after this. Really? Yeah. I mean, if they don't make it far, if they get like bounced out in the second round, like he's got to blow everything up and start making some trades, start letting some people go. He needs to be the undisputed best player on a team. And I think at only 22 years old, by the time he's 23, 24, there will be no questions whether or not he can be that guy. So to me right now, and we're going to touch on this later on the episode, there are four young guns of the NBA that we're all in love with. Jason Tatum's number five. Mm -hmm. And I think when it's all said and done two years from now, he might be better than all four of the players we've yet to mention because he's the player that can, in terms of his pedigree, in terms of his skill set, be a player that we most classically attribute to a effective and dangerous player in the NBA. He can make any shot. He can create any shot. He's getting there on defense. He rebounds the ball well. I think he's going to need Jalen Brown for all those years because you're always going to need a pip into your Jordan. And it seems that Brown has that perfect mentality to be a complimentary player. But, yeah, I mean, I'm always going to gush about a guy from Missouri. So Jason Tatum, great stuff. Keep it up. And, yeah, the, probably the worst thing about him is he plays for Boston. That's a dig to all my Boston family and friends. Yeah, I man, forget the Celtics. So, as Ro alluded to, we have a final four. So, we, we skipped number eight, Trey Young, number seven, John Morant. And we'll just go ahead and say it. Zion's number two and Luke is number one. Um, so, we thought of it as like the two most coveted second-year players and the two most coveted rookies. And kind of these final four, you know, which one of these four would you, would you like to start a team with? And, I mean, we'll just start from the bottom like a light overview. So Trey Young, shooter extraordinaire, defensive liability, if there's ever been a Webster definition of one. But that's because the guy's like 5'8". I'm kidding. But Trey Young is not a physical, imposing, dominant player. He is a very wiry. He makes Steph Curry look big. Yes, he looks like a kid impersonating Steph Curry to buy some alcohol. Like he's wispy. He has the structural toughness of a toothpick i don't see much of him i think he's a little overrated right now and i'm okay at me i'm at rohizi on twitter i'm at row at m13 on instagram i'd love for you to change my mind about trey young because i think he benefits from where he plays that being said he's brought the nutmeg to basketball which is the fantastic it's the magic ingredient in any dish listen there's a reason why it's a great spice and there's a certain joy that comes out of performing a successful nutmeg, regardless if it's on the basketball or the soccer court. So I love that aspect about Trey Young. There's a fearlessness to his game where he will pull up from just about anywhere and shoot it and not hesitate. And if there's one thing I wish Ben Simmons would take from Trey Young's game, it's that ruthlessness to be okay with misses just so you can better yourself in the long run. What I wonder about Trey Young is his ability to carry a game for, or sorry, carry a series, because I think he can win one game on his own. He's got the talent and he is that damn good. But what struggles he will face will be around the fact that can he win two games in a series? Can he win three games in a series? Right now, I can't see him winning more than two. Robbie, what do you think about that? He's 493rd out of 495 rated players on defense. 
So as prolific as he is on offense, he is, like I said, the definition of a defensive liability. Um, number seven, John Morant. He's just been playing above his perceived pedigree all season. We, we knew he was going to be good. Didn't know he was going to be this good. Um, making the Memphis Grizzlies, Memphis Grizzlies, the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, you know, a bona fide eighth seed. No one thought they'd even be sniffing that level. Um, I just think he brings everything powerful to that team. I'll hold off on your thought just to like s- introduce the other two guys, and we'll kind of just go like, go for it. which of the four we kind of want to go with. So then Zion, the the Sports Center highlight, whom breathes the guy who is in the center of every 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 NBA conversation right now. Any headline starts with Zion. What did Zion eat this morning? How big was his poop? You know, anything you need to know about Zion is being covered. But he had, what, uh, 10, 20-plus point games in a row, something like that. He's missed a lot of time and came in and hit the ground running. He's already got a per of 24.65, which is impeccable. To give that as a comparison to Trey Young, who's got a player efficiency rating of 24.7, that's 10th in the league, and Zion's already a top 10 player with regards to how efficient he is through that particular metric. Mm-hmm. He is fantastic to watch. He takes your breath away with everything he does. We talked about certain players seeming bigger than the court, and I've always talked about that in a horizontal stretch. Zion is the first player that I can think of that shrinks the court primarily from his verticality in terms of how high he can jump. He can truly jump over giants to get rebounds, and we talked about the Dwight Howard rebound and how that may be the most significant rebound of the entire year, and it happened in this one game. And I don't know what else I can say to add to the mystique or the allure of Zion, so I just bow down to him and his God-given ability and his freakish hops, and I just hope he stays healthy because he might be the closest thing we we see to Sean Kemp in the sense that he's going to point at somebody when he dunks, and because it's Zion, they're going to be okay with it. And he's going to be way better than Sean Kemp. Yes. Um, so then the number one pick, according to ESPN Plus, top 25 under 25, Luka Doncic. And I'm a huge Luka fan. I like the fact that he's been playing against grown men since he was a wee lad. Just the poise, the shooting, the step backs, the ungodly vision, the nutmegging himself into a bounce pass, just like – the flair to his game, yet the soundness of his fundamentals. He has both covered, and he's only 21 years old. He just turned 21. Just turned 20. He's 21.0. <laughs> Thank that's, you. That's how freshly 21 he is. But um, just another one of the darlings of the league right now. So that's our four. Which one of these four are you taking to start Rowett's NBA roster? Oh, Luca. I mean – I also, the Rohit Dragons. The Rohit Dragons. Uh, the Rohizi Pushies. Uh, actually, no. And when I was at Nike, we had an intramural team, and we had to come up with names. And I was feeling myself for one particular six-week stretch in 2013, so our intramural team name was the Rohit Malhotra Memorial All-Stars. Oh, there you go. So it was really refreshing to see that league email every Wednesday. be like the R-M-R-A-S, and then somebody like, Rohit Malhotra, who's he and why did he die? And I was like, oh no, he didn't die. His career died a long time ago, but he's still alive. He's right here. He's right here. And speaking of being right here, Luka Doncic, everything Robbie said, I I can only piggyback of it. He is a fantastic point guard. He is fantastic at creating separation from his shot. He's got that Steph-like range 
He has the mentality not to back down from anybody. We want to see him just as much as we want to see Zion. And it's one of those things where the comparison I don't want to make, but I'm going to make it anyway, is the fact that when we came back from the 1999 lockout, we were constantly looking at SportsCenter to see what Vince Carter dunks we had and what Jason Williams passes we had. And right now, I've got a similar feeling every morning when I start Twitter up or I watch a sports highlight show. Is okay, what did Luca do? What did Zion do? And I think the conversation for the next five years, at least, is going to come down to these two players. And for me, what gives Luca the edge right now is the fact that he's so much higher above in terms of his skill set and what he's capable of to his peer than what Zion is, which is actually saying something. So I guess I'll phrase that question to you. Who has the most distance between them and the rest of their peers between these two players, Robbie? The most distance between them and the rest of their peers. Meaning, okay, Luca is, let's say, the number one swing player wing on this list. Who's number two and how big is that chasm? And compare and contrast that with Zion, who's basically a big. Oh, okay. Um, I would say Ja really is that equivalent on a garden mm-hmm. perspective. And he's pretty far back. But to that point, I'm going to choose John Morant of all these players. Wow. He's he's so untapped. He's so very raw still. And his raw version is still amazing. Not just amazing. It's the fact that he's galvanized a community that – Historically loves Memphis basketball, but it's not an NBA basketball town. The Grizzlies, you know, Memphis Grizzlies, you think me, people are in Memphis for other things other than Grindhouse. Let's put it that way. And he's put them literally back on the map. You knew Zion was going to put the Pelicans on the map. You didn't know Luka was going to be this good, but from this fifth game last year, you knew he put the Mavericks on the map. I did not think Jaw was going to come in and take on this big of responsibility and thrive in it. He can do everything that Russell Westbrook can do, but with more diversity on the offensive end. He's tenacious on defense. And I like him. I I would have gone with Zion, but just watching him walk is concerning. I love him. I love everything about his game. He's a great young man. But if I'm starting the Robbie Memorial team, I don't want to have somebody – who I'm constantly worrying about the lower extremities. Okay. Jaw seems to have durability and barring a real leg injury, he's going to have speed for the next eight years, like elite speed. He's not going to just randomly fall off a cliff. So I'm going to go with John Morant. Any last kind of closing thoughts before we. Uh, Yeah, I would just say this. I really liked your point about the cultural identity he's brought with him to Memphis because like you alluded to, he's more Memphis Blue Tiger than he is Memphis Grizzly. And what we've always attributed with the Grizzlies has been the grit and grind era. They will beat you up. They will slow the game down. They will make it ugly. Because when things like that happen in a basketball game, the lesser skilled team tends to win. I would say this. He seems to be the most skilled player that Memphis Grizzlies have had since probably Jaron Jackson. They've hit gold in their last two drafts. I'm really intrigued by the fact that who can they add to this team that could take them to that next level? Because right now I think they're a fringe playoff contender, but with the right veteran acquisition, I could easily see them make that leap into that five, six, seven range. And the coolest part is Jaws ready to be the best player to where you, you're adding a veteran. You're not adding 
you're not trying to Miami LeBron a situation where you bring somebody else elite in. He's already that elite guy. You need somebody who's going to be your glue person. Because ideally, Jaron Jackson becomes your second all-star, and you don't know how that's going to shape up. But the NBA landscape is forever changing. What any one of these players on these 25, you know, any one of these 25-year-old players could randomly become a top 10 player in the league next year. If they're not already. Yeah. Because I mean, Luca's already top ten. I don't think there's a question that Luca and Trey Young are arguably no, probably not. I said Trey Young. Um Jason Tatum and Luca are already top ten players in the league. I mean, I look at this list one more time. Uh they may not be top ten, but these guys make up that next round. So I consider Ben Simmons to be a top fifteen player. I mean, I'm sure you would have a similar assessment. Yeah. And same with Carl Anthony Towns, if he's not a top fifteen player, he's on the fringes of being one. So it'll be a Great end of the season, and I think we're in great hands with the current crop of stars we have. That's exactly true. Well, hey, everybody. Um, that's our – or ESPN Plus's, but our uh, interpretation of ESPN's top 25 under 25. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Know Your Roots Sports. Um, make sure you're following Sneaker History and listening to all our content. I'm Robbie. You can find me at R-A-H-B-E-E-702 on all social media platforms. Ro, where can they find you? I'm at Roheezy on Twitter, R-O-H-E-E-Z-Y, and M 13 on Instagram. Cool. Well, hey, thank you, everybody, and have a good rest of your day. Hey, everyone. This is Nick again. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a couple favors of you. If you're interested in more content from the Sneaker History crew, Become a member of our Patreon page where we post daily content, drop exclusive episodes, and host monthly giveaways. We'll even help you hunt for your grails. Check us out at patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Also, make sure you sign up for our email newsletter at sneakerhistory.com slash email. We send out weekly updates on the footwear business and what we're working on here at Sneaker History. Last but not least, take a second to tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how much it means to someone, and it might even plant the seeds for something even bigger. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, And we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.